You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So Psalm 51 is probably one of the most well-known psalms in the entire Bible. Not just for its content, we are very, very familiar with this content, but also because of the context in which it is written. So the historical context is found in 2 Samuel 11, where we see that King David, that he's winning every battle, and one day he chooses to stay back while sending his army to fight. And while he's resting at his crib, while he's just getting a good night's sleep, um, he decides to come out to the balcony. And he sees the city. And there happened to be a lady taking a bath. And he decides to have a one-night stand. Now, at that point, you know, David, um, he's feeling pretty good about himself. I mean, it was a beautiful lady, right? So he feels like no one knows, um, no, nothing went wrong. It was just a one-night deal. Um, maybe he's regretting it. I'm not sure. But no, no one knows. Everything seems very normal until he receives a note from this lady called Bathsheba a couple of weeks later. And that note contains three words. I am pregnant. David slept with the wife of his faithful soldier, Uriah. And can you just imagine just being David at that moment, receiving those words that I am pregnant. Now for a year, David tries to do whatever he can to cover up his sin. He tries to bring Uriah, the husband, from the battlefield, and he says, hey, you know, you've been fighting so well, you should take, 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 get some rest at your house. But Uriah says, no, 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 my men are fighting in the battlefield, therefore I'll not go to my house and rest, but I'll sleep at your courts. So David is like, oh, man, this guy is just way too faithful. So he decides to have a drink uh, with him, right? So he gets Uriah intoxicated, but yet Uriah refuses to go home. So finally David decides, okay, I'm going to set this guy up. He tells one of his servants, send Uriah to the front course of the battlefield and pull our men away. And therefore he would die fighting the fight. And that actually took place. David was successful. You know, he got rid of Uriah, he got and covered his sin, until in 2 Samuel 12, God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And the prophet Nathan shares a very brief story, and really the gist of this is this, David, you are guilty. I know what you have done. David simply is exposed of his sin. And it is in this context that we get Psalm 51, it says, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So Psalm 51 is a prayer of confession. It is a prayer in which David prays in the midst of his deep, dark sin. When David was deeply convicted by God's words, he begins to cry out to the Lord. And those are the words that are recorded today. And when when David begins to unpack his sin in front of God, in front of the mercy of God, God begins to cover David with his grace. And that's kind of the driving idea today. When we uncover our sin at God's mercy, God covers us with his grace. 
When we uncover our sin at God's mercy, God covers us with his grace. So in today's passage, we see that David is aware of three things. First, he is aware of the reality of his sin. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So three times, David says, My transgression, my iniquity, my sin, pretty much synonyms, saying that I am guilty of my sin. I have created this mess. I have caused this wrong. My sin. David takes full responsibility of his actions, the sins that he has committed. He doesn't take sin lightly. He knows that he has sinned against God, that he is in need of abundant mercy, that he needs to be washed because of his sin. He feels dirty. He feels filthy. He feels unclean because of his sin, and he sees the reality of his sin. Now, you might think, well, David, he, it wasn't intentional. Maybe he was just you know, caught in the moment, right? But that word transgression, that's a very interesting word. It means to disobey. It means to violate the law. And it's kind of like this. One pastor said it in this way. You know, when you drive, you see um, places where you can park, right? And this happens to me every time I go to D.C. I try to park, and there's a no parking sign. I mean, everywhere there seems to be a spot, it's like a no parking sign. And there are times when I just have to run into the store for five minutes and come out. So what do I do? I put, put on my blinker. I just park, right? And, and I go in. So that's kind of transgression. I know it's wrong, yet I do it. Now, I know it's absolutely violating the law, yet I do it. This is not unintentional sin. David is talking about intentional sin. He says, I know exactly what I was supposed to do, yet I committed this sin. In verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So his sin is lingering in his eyes. He can't get it out of his mind. Ever before me, he says. And wherever he goes, he's thinking about his sin. It's just haunting him. Now, David is aware of the reality of his sin. But in verse 4, it gets interesting. He says, Against you and you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment? So not only does David have this awareness of his sin, he also knows that his sin is actually an offense against God. And you might think, well, wait a second. I mean, David hurt Bathsheba. David hurt Uriah. David hurt his own family. Uh, He hurt his own country. David didn't just hurt God. He hurt a lot of people in the process. I think David knows that. He's well aware of that. But I think he also knows that ultimately, although all those offenses are right and true, the ultimate offense always goes back to God. He's saying compared to the offense that I have created against God, those things are really minimal. He has, he's saying that I have sinned against the living God, the God of the universe. He's not trying to deny the fact that he hurt other people, but he's recognizing that there's something deeper within. Now, why is adultery a sin? Why is it wrong for David to take another man's wife? 
Well, it's because by doing so, he's offending God by breaking the covenant of marriage. He's distorting the beautiful design of marriage in which God intended it to be. One man, one woman for a lifelong covenant. Why is murder wrong? Why is that a sin? Well, it's because that's an offense against God because it is destroying God's ultimate creation, mankind, which was created in God's image. You see, every sin that we, we do, every sin that we um, commit in our lives, it is an offense against God. We commit sin, and yeah, of course, it hurts others, but ultimately, that is offensive to God. At the core of every sin is the heart of rebellion against God. So David is well aware that his sin is very personal, and he's well aware that his sin is very offensive to God. And then he says something even more interesting. In verse 5, he says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my, brother, my mother conceive me. So David is saying here that um, in sin my mother conceived me. What does that mean? Initially, if you read it in the English, it seems like, well, maybe the moment that David was conceived, that moment of conception was sinful. Maybe David's mom had an affair. Who knows? But actually, if you look at it in the Hebrew and think about this in the context, David is actually saying, the moment I was conceived, I was sinful. It's not that that moment or that was caused by sin. He's saying that that moment I was conceived and I was sinful. You know, growing up, we heard this story a lot of times, this story where David commits adultery. And I have to be honest, I always thought David made a mistake. I thought that, you know, as a godly man, he just simply made a big mistake. I mean, what are the odds? He just happened to look outside of the city, and there happened to be this beautiful lady bathing, right? What are the odds? No, David just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And that led him to these dumb decisions. You know, to me, I felt like this incident, David was acting out of character. Now, David is normally a good guy. He's normally a good man. He just happened to make a mistake. You know, I grew up watching WWF. Now, it used to be WWF, right? Pro wrestling. It's a real sport, uh, <laughs> right? And there's a lot of, uh, you know, but what I love about wrestling um, is that there's a lot of characters involved, right? There's always the good guys and the bad guys. And there are moments when the good guy all of a sudden acts as if he's the bad guy. And there are moments when this bad guy is acting as if he's good. And we call that acting out of character, right? And I felt the same way. I felt like, you know, David here is acting out of character. He's a super nice guy. He's a good king. He's at just this one, one, this one incident, he's acting out of character. But listen to what David is saying in verse 5. He's saying that I am completely sinful. Now, he doesn't call it a mistake. He's not saying I'm acting out of character. He's actually saying I sinned from my very nature. From the moment I was conceived, I had this sinful nature, this sinful tendency where I would gravitate towards what is wrong rather than what is right. I would gravitate towards what is evil rather than good. He's not just calling this one incident sinful. He's recognized that he is sinful by nature. He's saying at the very core, 
I am a sinner. Therefore, the adultery I have committed, the murder that I have committed, the lies that I have spread trying to cover up this incident, no, it's not really that surprising because I'm not acting out of character. This is actually me. I'm acting in character. David is not just saying I have committed sin. He's saying I am a helpless sinner by nature, and this just happened to be the moment that that was revealed. You know, a lot of times we think very highly of ourselves. Um, we think that we're pretty good. I, I think I'm pretty good at times. Um, but the truth is, given the right opportunity, given the right moment, if no one is around, if I know for sure my sin will be covered, man, my tendency is to fall towards what is evil rather than good. My tendency is to fall towards what is wrong rather than right. We're not too good inside. We're not too clean inside. You and I, we're sinners. Can we say that to one another? No. I'm a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you guys don't really, it doesn't sound like you mean it. I'm a sinner. I'm letting you know I'm a sinner. Right? Now, when you shared that, did anyone go like, wow, really? Man, man, you are a sinner? You? Out of all people, you? No. It shouldn't have surprised us that we are sinners. And what do sinners do? We commit sin. It shouldn't have surprised us. We're not too good inside. David is well aware of the reality of his sin. He's not just talking about this one incident saying that, okay, I just failed here. I made a mistake. He is saying by nature, in my core, I have a more foundational issue, which my nature is sinful. And I am helpless because of that. Not only is he aware of his reality, we also see that he's aware of the danger of sin. It says in verse 8, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In other words, David is in pain. He feels like God has broken his bones. And this is kind of, it's not a literal phrase, right? Obviously, God has not strike down David and literally broken his bones, but he's describing how painful it feels to, to be accused or to be exposed uh, at the holiness of God. He is describing the painful feeling of God's displeasure in him due to sin. Sin is hindering him physically and emotionally. We also see that sin hinders us spiritually. He says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So obviously David, is, uh, David does not have the right heart nor the right spirit. No, he has an unclean heart. His intention, his spirit is wrong, meaning that he has no desire to do good and do what is right. You know, and what happens is when sin, when sin takes place, place in our hearts, we have no desire to do what is good and what's right. Therefore, this, this, there's this repetition of sin. When we commit sin, we go even further. If we, are, if we don't uncover it before God, we just commit sin and sin and sin, and it just leads to more sin. You know, sin hinders, our, uh, hinders us spiritually, but it also hinders us relationally. Look at verse 11. It says, Cast me not away from your presence. And I don't think David is talking about losing his salvation. We know that once you are in God, in Christ, that you can't lose your salvation. But for him, it definitely feels like he's about to get kicked out. 
He feels like he's about to lose God's presence. You know, sin is destroying the intimacy that David had with God. You know, when I was young, whenever I did something stupid or bad, I was always afraid about getting kicked out of my house. My mom would always tell me, you know, if you do something stupid, I'm going to kick you out. She actually did a couple times. But, but why? Even, even when she didn't mention that, I, I was always afraid to just face her. I was always afraid to just look at her eyes. You know, I just wanted to run away. Why? Because you know what sin does? It corrupts our relationships. It blocks our relationships. It hinders us. It gives us this sense of guilt and shame so that when we mess up, we don't run to God. Sin makes us run away from God. Sin destroys our relationship with God. Look at verse 11, the second part. It says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, in the Old Testament, the phrase Holy Spirit is used not just in the sense of indwelling in believers, that happens in the New Testament, but in the sense of anointing and power, right? Kings, when they were anointed, God's spirit was upon them. The perfect example is King Saul. We see that when he was first anointed as the first king of Israel, that God's spirit was with him. But when he walked in disobedience, the spirit of God was was driven out from him, and God puts this evil spirit upon him, and everything goes downhill, at that moment, when he loses the spirit of God because he had lost his source of power and his source of anointing. In the same way, sin robs us from our anointing from God. Sin robs us of God's anointing. No, my greatest fear as a husband, my greatest fear as a dad, my greatest fear as a pastor is losing my anointing is losing my integrity, is walking in sin to the point where the Holy Spirit is not empowering me inside. Because I know that I can be a husband. I know that I can be a dad. I know I can be a pastor. But I will never be the man that God intended me to be. You know, God gives us um, different roles in life. You know, today we saw that uh, a couple of our brothers and sisters were appointed as deacons in the household. We have responsibilities as husband and wife. We have responsibilities as parent and child. We have responsibility at our work as a faithful worker uh, or as a friend. You know, we are called to be servants of Christ, and you have to understand that these callings are given by God, meaning in order for you to thrive in these callings, you need the anointing of God. If you want to faithfully teach in Sunday school, if you want to faithfully teach in youth group, you need the power and anointing of God. And what sin does, it, it takes away that anointing. You know, you lose God's anointing and favor, and now no longer does your calling become a blessing to you, but it becomes a burden to you. That was, that's what sin does. It robs us from our anointing. Sin also robs us from our joy. Look at verse 12. It says, restore to me the joy of of your salvation. So clearly, something's missing in David's heart. He has no joy. Everything is just kind of, yeah, just plain. Right? When we walk in sin, the cross becomes just another story in the Bible. It becomes old, it becomes redundant. You know, whenever we sing about the cross and, and we, 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 we think about the cross, we don't get excited when we walk in sin. Sin takes away the joy of our salvation, the very thing that will sustain us when trouble comes in this world, the very thing that will keep us hopeful 
when times get difficult. Sin in the believer's life is very, very real. It is extremely dangerous. And I love one of my, uh, what one of my professors say, um, Dr. Jerry Vines. He says, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will teach you more than you want to know. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is very destructive. And David sees the reality of his sin. He sees the high cost of sin. But he also is aware of one last thing. He is aware of God's mercy and grace. David knows that there is no sacrifice that he can make, that there is nothing that he can do in order to restore his status in front of God. He knows that he is completely helpless and hopeless. In verse 16, it says, If there is a sacrifice that, you, that would please you, I would have given it to you. So what is he saying? There's not a single sacrifice that he can make in his power that would please God. He knows that he has a problem of sin, yet he knows that he is helpless, that he can't solve this on his own. So what does he do? He throws himself at the mercy of God. No, the very first words that David prays in today's psalm is, have mercy on me, O God. Knowing that God delights in truth, knowing that he is capable of leading us into truth, in verse 7 he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So hyssop is this kind of small branch, like bushy stem, that people used um, like a brush. It was perfect to absorb uh, different stuff. And so it was used, especially in cleansing ceremonies, when people would um, give blood offerings, that it would be used um, in, in the ceremony. So what David is saying is, you know, cleanse me completely from my sin. Uh, one occasion where this hyssop branch would be used is when uh, a leopard would be, would be cleansed. That, that's when he would take a hyssop branch and utilize it to, to sign, uh, signify that he is cleansed. So in a sense, he's saying, David is saying, cleanse me, from, cleanse me from these diseases. Cleanse me from my uncleanness. Make me whiter than snow. He's saying in verse 9, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my Iniquity, not just some iniquity, but all my iniquity. The expression hide your face it actually means look somewhere else. No, don't look, uh, uh, don't look at my sin. Look somewhere else. Now, where would God look at then if he's not going to look at our sin? When you pray this prayer, instead of looking at the sin that you have that you, the sin that you have uh, accumulated in your heart, God looks at the cross. In Colossians 2.14, it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this God, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When we were in debt, when our record was pretty bad, God, he set aside the cross for us that he would meet the righteous demand of our sin. When you uncover your sin in an honest way before God, God will cover you with his grace and mercy. You will always understand that when you sin, you will arrive at the feet of the cross. Last week, I kind of explained how the foundation of a healthy relationship is honesty and trust. 
Do you trust God? Do you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ? And are you honest with him? That are you exposing your heart, your sins to God so that he can heal you? In verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrast spirit. O God, you will not despise. When we realize that we are broken inside, that we are helpless, that we are deeply just darkened in sin, that is, there is no, nothing that can cure us from our sins, when we are hurting inside, God says, that's the worship that I want. That's where I want to meet you. And God is saying that that is when you experience restoration in me. Because the more and more you try to cover up, more and more you will run away from me. But when you come to me and allow me to uncover you, I will cover you with my grace. God is telling you and me today to stop running, to stop hiding, to stop covering, but run to him and run to his grace. Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit, broken in spirit, Blessed are they because there is the kingdom. Those who are self-righteous don't need a savior. But those who are broken put everything on the fact that Jesus died for their sins. Now, if you think about it, David's, David's deepest sin was revealed to the entire world. Right? God made a movie basically out of, out of his deepest sin for generations to look at. But David was not destroyed when his sins was revealed. He was covered by the grace of God. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions, his sin, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes their transgressions, them will obtain mercy. Trust in God. Come to him in an honest way. Allow him to uncover your sin and cover you with his grace. Let's pray. So at this time, I just want us to reflect on this message. For one year, David tried to hide everything away from God. He tried to cover up his sin. He's hoping that no one will find out what he did. That he was afraid that this would be exposed to the world. But what he experienced when he, his sin was uncovered, it wasn't simply shame. God didn't simply accuse him for what he did. But at that moment, God was able to extend grace to his broken soul. So what are you trying to hide? What is robbing you from your joy? What is causing you to walk away from God? Is your spirit right with God? Is your mind right with God? David didn't make a mistake. He sinned out of his very nature. And a lot of times we do the same. The fact that we sinning is in our character means that every single day we need to be at the feet of the cross where his mercy reigns. 
maybe some of you are thinking, well, if I expose this sin to God, he will never forgive me. Man, God's grace runs pretty deep. Maybe some of you have wrestled with your sin for a long time and you feel like, you know, you can't overcome its power. The cross is pretty powerful. Maybe for some of you, you're just afraid to expose yourself to God. Well, if that's the case, I want you to trust in his character. That he's not like earthly parents that would push us away because we're dirty, but he embraces his children when they come to him in an honest way. Trust in him. Stop hiding. Because when we cover our sins, ultimately God will expose them. But when we uncover our sin, God will cover them with his grace and mercy. Let's pray.